This podcast is sponsored by King Manual Therapy, restoring function to body and voice. Hello and welcome to Industry Minds, the podcast which discusses the importance of talking about mental health within the creative arts. My name is Cathy Reed, and today I am joined by a lovely lady in our industry. Her previous credits include Dorothy Brock in 42nd Street at Theatre Royal Jury Lane, Donna in Mamma Mia, she's been in Wicked, The Village Social, Thoroughly Modern Millie, to name but a few. She is currently playing the lead role of Kate in Mamma Mia, The Party at the O2. It is, of course, Steph Parry. How are you, Steph? Hello, I'm really well, thank you. Happy to be here. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. So we always start with a word association game. Oh. So just say the first thing that comes into your head. No pressure. Okay. okay. Greece is the word. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I wasn't expecting that. Excellent. CrossFit. Oh, gains. Cats. Dogs. Christmas shopping. Hell. Self-care. Is important. The environment is oh we're having trouble with that mm. the jubilee line oh is is the bane of my life at the moment <laughs> family oh the most important thing yeah well it's supposed to be one word because there's no. been i'm making a sentence basically no. okay. it's it's word association so i mean i guess like word association sentence association yeah. kind of the same thing right so, Steph, welcome to the podcast. It's so fab to have you on. Uh, we always like to start at the beginning. So you're originally from Hollyhead in North Wales. How did you get into the arts? Um, so my parents are singers. They are a vocal harmony duo. No. Yeah, so I grew up, like, with they do the pubs and clubs uh, up in North Wales and caravan parks and things like that. And I just grew up singing. Yeah. And like joining them on on stage, on stage, like you know, with one of those um, oh the 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 curtains, you know, in a in a conservative club, and there'd be like the the glittery curtains at the back, and then there'd be me like performing my little heart out with about five people listening. (laughs) Um, But that's kind of how it all started for me um, initially, and then I got into dancing when I not I was quite late I was probably about 13 14 I started to go to dance classes and I realized that I wasn't very good at that but I enjoyed it and it was and it was kind of where I found my people a bit like there was lots of you know fellow performers um and I do a lot of the, the you know the annual shows and stuff there but being from Hollyhead there's like there isn't much going on there and like what's great now is that so many number one tours go to Llandudno and Real, less so. Um, but back when I was younger, there was like, there was nothing. Like nothing would kind of come there and we wouldn't have anybody to come and do workshops with us or anything like that. Um, but it, it, I just, it was something that I enjoyed doing and I don't think I ever thought that I could do it as a job because I didn't see anybody else doing it as a job apart from these people, the shiny people on the telly. Or when I went down to London, because we, when I was about 10, I think I went and saw my first musical. It was a Christmas present. We went to see Joseph. And that's when I was like, oh, yeah, this is this is cool. This is something that I would like to do as a job. Um, but but again, not knowing that it was a job and it was just what other people did. But always kind of very much like, that's really cool and I'd like to do that. Yeah. Amazing. That was a really long-winded way of me telling you, no. going up to the age of about 18 there. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, so you uh, trained at Arts Ed, mm-hmm. which is my alma mater mm-hmm. as well. And... Um, 
We find that uh, speaking to people who come from small towns, particularly not yeah. in England, um, making that move, even though we are a United Kingdom, like across the border, a different country, it's really it's really quite difficult and it's a real shock to the system. Um, how did you make that decision to move from Little Hollyhead in North Wales to Chiswick and yeah. c- come to RZ in London? It's quite a big move. It was, and it was something that I kind of did on a whim, really. Um, so I did my A-levels in school and never really had it um, that I was going to go and do this as a career. Um, but So I left, did my A-levels, finished my A-levels, and I got a job as a doctor's receptionist. And for me, I was living the dream. I was on £7.50 an hour. I had this job, and I remember going to pick up my A-level results and being like, don't care what I've got, I've got a job. You know, I'm a doctor's receptionist, this is what I do. And um, I remember I remember it so vividly. I was, I was in... the. I'd been working there for about eight months and I was filing a file away, like probably about somebody's, you know, (laughs) stool results or something. (laughs) Um, And I was filing it away and I remember just going, oh my God, this is, this is my life. This is what I've chosen to do for the rest of my life. What am I doing? And it was this really weird moment. And then that afternoon I had a half day and I went to see my friend and she had the stage magazine and I, and I opened it and I, and I went to the drama school pages and I just had this weird feeling that I just went, oh, that, that's what I'm... I, I don't know, it was so weird. It was like... I, and again, I remember it so vividly. And I went home that, that afternoon and I phoned a load of drama schools and was like, can you send me a prospectus? And I remember my mum going, what are you doing? You've got a really good job. Um, and that's kind of... So for me, it was all... It was just in this split-second decision of like, I don't want to do this. I've There's something more that I want to do. And then... And then, so I quit my job as a doctor's receptionist. I got a job um, <laughs> working as a resident entertainer for Warren Holidays. So I went away to um, Thorsby Hall in Nottinghamshire and I worked there. And at this point I was still waiting because I was on the reserve list for Arts Ed. Oh. So I was still waiting to find out if I'd actually got a place. Um, and I think it was about a month before I found out that I'd got the, the place. And so I was going to leave... This, this job for one holidays and go and yeah. you know train properly and I suppose it, it made the jump a little bit easier because I'd done three months mm. in this random hotel in Nottinghamshire to make then the jump to London yeah. was less daunting because I'd already left home kind of mm-hmm. already yeah yeah but it was oh it was mad it, it yeah. was a bit of a from somebody who had you know a local boyfriend and was set we were planning to move in together and yeah and it, I was oh, really? like it was like my li- yeah like because like I guess that, do. Yeah. yeah and that was my life set like and then I just suddenly was just like nah this is I want more than this not that like there's obviously there's anything yeah. wrong with that but I just think I just think there's people who are who are programmed to just be like you know they they want to go out and uh, like so I'm a searcher yeah. and I think a lot of actors are mm-hmm. um so I think if I'd have stayed in that bubble I would have been I would have been really unhappy that's so crazy because so many people know for years that it's what they want to do mm. and they set their sights on this thing mm. and then one day you just went no yeah I'm not gonna that's crazy yeah. I mean I, I like I think I'd always wanted it and like I'd always wanted it yeah, I've always been I've always been a singer I've always been a performer but just never believed that it I could be I couldn't be that 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 couldn't be me I wasn't yeah. good enough I wasn't it, you know I was just from a small town and it was like I it, it and it, I think but I think that's something that happens in our careers as well that we just get to that point where we just go enough's enough stop playing small it's time to play big mm-hmm. and that I think that's what it it was just a 
this switch, I think. And then I went to drama school and literally was like back down to, oh God, I can't do this. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, that's my story, I guess, of how it happened and it's weird. Amazing. So what have your experiences been with mental health so far? So that could be relating to you, that could be relating to uh, your family, your friends, kind of your awareness of it um, just over your life, really. Um, I guess my experiences of it are just, are, I have a lot of friends who suffer with anxiety and depression. Um, do I'm trying to think. I've, I have moments, you know, I think, I think we all do, especially in this business when we, when we are paid to be vulnerable and open and honest. And, and I think what comes with that is if you walk into an audition and you are literally ready to just open yourself up, and give and be vulnerable and give them a part of you and then you get rejected or you know you are opening yourself up to these things and it's and it's so important for us as actors and and any and anybody really mm-hmm. um is that we there's that element of self-care um to make sure that we are you know we are we are going into something and but but we're not laying ourselves on the line a bit too much, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's something that... It's so... Like, there's just so much of it now. And I do think that... I think social media plays a huge part in it. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I guess that's my, that's my experience of mental health. Mm-hmm. Nobody, you know, in my family or anything has... Um, Though I mean I I suffered from an eating disorder when I was in my teens, so I guess that's a yeah. that's a massive, you know, that was a massive mental thing, and I don't even know where it came from, because it it wasn't necessarily something that was like out in the open, and mm-hmm. but during my t- and I, and it was at high times of stress as well. So during my GCSEs and my A levels, um, like I I was bulimic. Yeah. And throughout my first couple of years of outside as well, mm-hmm. because I just—it's just—it was the way that I cope with stress. And again, I've, there's, there's, there's so many points in my life where there's just been this weird turning point. And I rem- and again, I remember it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I was in my third year of outside, and I and I made myself sick, and then I just went, no, I can't do this to myself anymore. What am I doing? And I've never done it since. And that was like wow. when I was twenty, and I've never done it like. And that was the moment where I just was like, enough's enough. I can't, I can't deal with life like this. This is not the way to go. And, I'm, and I do think it's important that we talk about it because it is, you know, these things are so taboo. Yeah. And there's a lot of people suffering with things like that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's their way of coping. And that was my way, I think, of self-harming as well, was, was that. And other people choose different ways. And that's how I chose to deal with it in my teens. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine what it's like being a teenager these days. I just think, you know, I got off so lightly, being grown up in the 90s, like, mm-hmm. I, that now, with the world looking at you, thanks to the world of, you know, social media apps, it's scary. Yeah, it, it really is. And Scarlett and myself often say that even though we are both in our, um, our mid-20s, we feel that we have just missed yeah. the social media age, as in when I was just leaving high school, um, in 2011, I think, I people, it was like, oh, you've got an iPhone. Oh, that's cool. And can I have a look at your iPhone? Yeah. And people had like the iPhone 3 and I think I got the iPhone 4 just before I went down to a foundation course. And the um, and even Instagram stories weren't around when I left Arts Ed. They started mm. like a year after maybe yeah. or like a few months after. It's, it's a relatively new thing. And um, I, I just think that 
it takes a lot of mental strength and I think that they need to be taught about it in schools and how to use it safely because yeah. it just appears and anyone can get access to it and it's yeah very very scary yeah um, so I can tell from your Instagram and your Woof band that you have on your wrist, which we mentioned before, that you are a huge fan of CrossFit, yes, um, which I really wanted to ask you yeah. about. Uh, keeping active is something that can massively, massively improve mental health for many people. Mm. Um, do you feel the benefit of this on a daily, weekly, monthly basis? It's really ingrained in your life. I mean, you're doing Mamma Mia the party right now, and yet you're getting PBs on your <laughs> squats and deadlifts and stuff. It's, it's mad. Yeah, it's, it's become a, a great tool for me. And I started CrossFit two years ago. Um, before that, I'd, I've always been, well, that's a lie. When I got into my, when I reached my 30s, that was when I kind of started getting into the gym. So I used to go and do like a lot of um, lifting and I would, I'd teach um, body combat and body pump. And that was, you know, something that I really enjoyed. And then two years ago, I discovered CrossFit and it's, it's a, it's a bit of a game changer for me in that you're surrounded in you're in this community of of like-minded people who aren't in the business who you know so there's none of that kind of pressure it's really nice to have friends like outside of that world and we just go and like throw like barbells around (laughs) at things and it's that constant for me it's so I usually go and do a 9 30 class so it's it's the thing that makes me get up and not sit there and scroll through my social media it's like my alarm goes off I get up I go to the gym I do whatever the you know I don't have to think about it the program's done for me um and some you know today I, it was a weightlifting class today and so you know you're concentrating on your numbers of what you're lifting and you, you might hit a pb and suddenly you're like oh, I've just achieved something so amazing today like and so it just gives you that, that high. And it's something that you can work on yourself. And nobody else is in control of it. It's all you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in the acting business, a lot of stuff is out of our control. Um, so the more that we can work on ourselves and be you know, masters of our own change, like masters of our own change I don't know what that hell means but you know what I mean Um, then that's all the better yeah 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 would you advise people to get into it who are not who maybe are finding it difficult to find an exercise that they enjoy or is it I mean everybody's got something like everybody will there is something for everyone when it comes to exercise and there's definitely not like the one size fits all and I don't think CrossFit will be for everybody like my husband came and I think he, well, he came on and off for about six months and hated it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it isn't for him, but it's definitely for me. I think it's, it really, if you're somebody who's a bit competitive and, you know, you, you want to push yourself to be the best that you can be, then it's, then it's awesome. And mm-hmm. if you like training with other people, yeah. so if you like group fitness, then, yeah. I mean, it's a bit like a cult and... If that's the thing is if 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 you do CrossFit then you're bound to talk about it. Yeah. So that's me. Sorry about that. <laughs> My boyfriend loves CrossFit yeah. and he loves the whoop band and yeah. he loves his recovery and how many percent he's got and yeah, he's really into it. He's like, Oh, I had a really bad night's sleep. I only got this percent recovery. Yeah. But it, it it's it's right and it he does notice the difference. Yeah. And so yeah, I totally relate from that point. Yeah. So 
talking about your 9.30 class, mm-hmm. what does a typical day look like for you now okay. um, being in Mamma Mia, the party? So I usually get up at nine o'clock. Um, it's usually a case of like switch that alarm off, get up, get ready, go to the gym, train from 9.30 to 10.30. Sometimes I'll go for coffee with some of the other women um, at the gym or I'll just come home, make myself make myself a shake with the seeds and the spinach and all the good things. Um, And then it depends, really. It depends what else I've got going on. So I might head into town early if I've got, you know, things to do or if I'm meeting somebody or if I've got a vocal massage, which is what's keeping me going at the moment. Um, Or I might just be at home, like, chilling, um, watching, you know an ITV drama or something. Um, it really, de- my days are so, they're so different. But then I'll I'll definitely leave, if I'm at home, I'll leave at four o'clock, head to the O2, get there and get ready and go to warm up and then sing some ABBA. Lovely. Yeah, and then I usually get home at about half 11. Yeah. Watch some telly. Yeah. <laughs> like, go to bed. Lovely. Um, so many people will have heard the... Ing- I mean, I don't know how people can't have heard because it was everywhere. Uh, the incredible story of you running down the road from 42nd Street to save the show at Mamma Mia when the only Donna in the building went off. Yeah. Um, can you describe this night for us? Yes, of course. God, I haven't thought about this one for a while. Um, so I was on standby in 42nd Street, which basically means that you're sat in the dressing room if none of your covers are off. So, um, and then I got a phone call from my company manager at five past eight. So Mamma Mia goes up at quarter to eight. Mm. Um, and I was in the dressing room just eating my dinner. And I thought, oh, because at this point I was covering Lulu and I thought, oh, she's going off. Mm. Or what's happened before is that I've had a phone call to say, um, just to let you know that she's going off tomorrow. So I thought oh, it'll be something to do with that. And he just said, um, weird one. I've just had Mamma Mia on the phone, just checking that you're in the building. And I was like, yes, I'm here. Um, because I'd actually just got back from holiday that day and he was like, I just, I I think you're back today, but I just wanted to check. Because the thing with 42nd Street was there was like 55 of you down at Mm warm-up. So, you know, to see everybody is quite a mean feat. Um, And then he just went, okay, fine, um, I'll let them know, I'll call you back. And I just remember sitting there thinking, what the hell is going on? But in the back of my head going, oh, this could... I really hope that something really exciting happens. Like, I really hope that there's something exciting is about to happen. Um, and then, yeah, he phoned back two minutes later and was like, right, yes, there's been an emergency, they need you, just run down there, I'll clear it with everyone, just go. And so I, off I went and ran down the road and at this point still had no idea what was going on and got to stage door and Philip Effamy, the general manager, was there and just said, can you do it? And at this point I was like, I don't know what you want me to do. Uh, and he was like, go on for Donna, now. And, uh, and I just said... Yeah, uh, and that's kind of and and then the next thing I was I was whisked into the dressing room. People were on me doing my hair, putting like a mic in, um, getting into somebody else's costumes. Like, oh, let's see if this fits you, and throwing it at me and just putting it on and um, and yeah. And there was there was probably about eight people in the room. It was like an entourage of just you know getting me ready and getting me on that stage. And then I hadn't realised that. At this point, the general manager had gone out to tell the audience what had happened. So then when I walked on stage, there was this crazy applause that happened 
you know, like when the famous person walks yeah. on stage, or like the, on the last night of Elphaba. Yeah, yeah. It was like, it was that. I was like, yeah, hello. Fine. So, but it was a bit of a shock because I hadn't, because I didn't know that they knew. I just thought they thought, like, that it was, you know, just getting the understudy ready. Yeah. But they knew it was a girl from 42nd Street oh had come in. Yeah. What point in the show was it that it you was, had to start? So it, she tore her calf muscle in the first scene. Like, literally, at the beginning of the first scene, she carried on through, through the first scene, did money, money, went off. And I think what I heard was apparently she was like, I'm fine, I can carry on. And they were like, no, you really can't. So they had to, like, be like, this can't happen. Which would have been such a, a crazy call for them to have to make, knowing that they had no understudy in the building, to be like, oh, oh, God, we have to call this, we have to cancel the show. Yeah. yeah. Steph probably saves the day, everyone. <laughs> Um, but you got quite a lot of um, media attention from yeah. that. Did yeah. that um, kind of being thrust into a little bit of a spotlight, did that cause you any kind of anxiety or did you feel any kind of, I don't know? Um, I remember yeah. it being, it was really exciting because I hadn't expected it. Yeah. Because I remember being in the pub that night, just being like, wow, as if that happened. And my phone was going crazy. And, and as any understudy who's listening to this will know that when you suddenly get thrown on, everyone texts you and you just, you can't eat, you can't like look at your phone, there's just no time because you're just like, I'm just being thrown on, like, ah. Um, so I was in the pub and I just, I had all these messages that I was like, oh, I'll have to deal with these on the train. And I had this magnum of champagne that Mamma Mia had given me, like under my arm, just kind of going, wow, like, what the hell was that? And thinking, that was really cool, great, awesome, done. And then the next day I woke up and had all these like message requests in my Twitter from journalists. And I was like, oh, wow, people actually want to talk to you about this. Amazing. Um, but then the, re- the day, and, I was, and it was a bit mad because I remember being like, oh, oh, this is, it was juggling. I was juggling plates. And then on the Saturday morning, this was a Thursday night. And then on the Saturday morning, I had, I went to the gym and I'd just done, so some, radio show had asked me to appear on their show at quarter to nine because I was like oh I've got a gym session at nine o'clock can I talk to you just before I go in so I was in the gym car park at quarter to nine just chatting on some live radio five live I think it was no or something so live on the radio just chatting about it and then I got out of the gym um I remember everybody in the gym being like Oh, it's Steph Parry, hey, I've seen you in the paper today, like yesterday, because it was in the evening standard the night yeah. before. And um, and then I got out of there and Channel 5 um, had been in touch with me. No, it was Sky News. At this point, it was Sky News. Sky News had been in touch with me because they wanted to come and film me in the theatre. And I was speaking to her and she was saying like, so we'll meet you outside the theatre and then can we come in and film your warm-up and asking me... And I was like, oh, no, suddenly this has got too big for yeah, me. Like, yeah. I can't authorise that. Um, and that was when I just rang my agent and was like, um, help me. Yeah. I've got all these people wanting to talk to me and they want to do things that I don't know if they can. Um, and so then my agent was like, leave it with us. We'll get in touch with the press department of 42nd Street and they'll take over. Yeah. So... Then the press department, because I, I don't think any of us knew how crazy it was going to get for a week. Yeah. I mean, I was famous for a week. <laughs> um, and for that week, I did have to just be like, okay, you need... To, it's funny, isn't it? Like, how, we, we sometimes are scared to ask for help. Yeah. 
and that week I needed to just be like, please help me because I don't know what I'm doing. This is, I'm out of my depth here. And, you know, it's one thing just arranging to go and chat on the radio for 15 minutes. This is another thing organising this and I can't do it. Oh my God. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't know how anyone can, can be expected to, to, to get that. I understand why people have, like, yeah. PR managers and manager managers. and Because yeah. it's really a lot. made me realise that week, I remember thinking, I kept thinking, like, this is what it's like for J-Lo. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why J-Lo, but that's who I was always thinking about. Um, but it, it, I understand why, you know, these huge celebrities need all these different people to organise things for them because it, it, you are... You, I did feel a little bit pulled in so many different directions. Yeah. Um, so, sorry, I'm literally just thought about the Adams Family song then. <laughs> as soon as I said it, what is wrong with me? I'm like, my life is a musical. Um, yeah, so I, I, I understand that, how they, they do need people working for them. Because mm-hmm. for a week, I needed a PR department. Yeah. Not anymore. <laughs> I love it. Um, so you mentioned there that you were a standby um, in 42nd Street for Lily for Dorothy Brock, and then you went on to um, have the role yourself. Yeah. Um, what What's it like being a standby, kind of on your on your mental health? Because you're not in the show um, every night, yeah. but you have to be in the building, mm. and then you can be thrown on at a moment's notice. But you might not be on for two weeks. Yeah. What What is that like, kind of being an actor? And obviously, you're a very proactive person, and you you want to be doing things all the time yeah. how do you how did you keep yourself sane in those moments where you were just in the building all the time yeah um I I, I it, I mean it is quite difficult and there were times when I did find it quite difficult I had a you know I, I would try during the half I'd go and visit different rooms so that I so that I would feel like I was part of the cast because I think it's quite because me as a standby I was over the other side mm-hmm. of the building and you could end up being quite lonely yeah. um I had Matthew Goodgame who played Pat Denning mm-hmm. and he he like understudied Julian Marsh and Pat has got like um a nice little scene in the first half and then another bit and then he's in the second half so he had quite a long break within the interval so we used to we'd have a cup of tea and yeah. chat do, during that time and I just would try and keep active I'd I'd like have a lot of any kind of admin I had I'd do it when I got to work and I'd try and have like a list of things that I'd do or even sometimes I'd just I got really into the purge on Amazon Prime <laughs> and watched that like that as a series and I'd eat my dinner and so I'd always try and kind of do things but it, it didn't it's not something I think I would want to do again mm-hmm. um because I just love being I love performing and, and acting and being out there on stage too much um I actually did one of my first jobs was uh, ASM Swing on Annie the Musical. Really? And I found that was one of the hardest jobs I've ever done because I was so close, but like so far. Um, and I think that's the thing is like, I just want, I want to be out there. So there's, there's I think there's, there's people who are covers who don't actually want to go on and they're like, Oh, no, I'm fine. I don't, I'm quite happy not going on. Whereas I'm like, get me on yeah. there now. I want to, you know, I just, I just want to do it. Like, but I think it, it was because as well, I had that eight week chunk as Dorothy, which mm. was amazing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was, it was fine. It was fine. Um, and I found my ways to, to make it work. And yeah, I think what's great about like the wicked standbys is they have each other. Yeah. So I think that 
definitely helps. And because in 42nd Street, all the swings were on stage at the beginning of the show, so I was the only person that wasn't on stage at all. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. All of them. They, they all do the opening, because they want the opening number to look as full as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So today I am in the King Manual Therapy Clinic in Covent Garden with the wonderful Stephen King himself, and he has been conducting some new research, which he's going to tell us about, and it's absolutely fascinating. Stephen, take it away. Okay, thanks, Cathy. So I had a question, which is, is Singer's acid reflux really what we think it is? And I think the answer is no, because over a five-week trial period, 100% of the subjects have been cured of their symptoms of acid reflux. I mean, you can see the graph here they can't it's a good graph am i right i can see the graph and it's a great (laughs) graph so we put together a successful treatment protocol to alleviate the symptoms of singer's acid reflux and for now it's working in 100 percent of cases whoop whoop and where can people find out more about the research that you have conducted? So I'm in the process of presenting it and publishing it next year at the World Voice Teachers Expo and hopefully at the BVA. And this work is going to be written up into a paper and published by me. So look out on social media, that kind of thing. But I'll be posting screenshots and stuff all the time. So make sure you check it out 2020. It'll be properly published and it's very, very interesting. So thanks, Stephen. Thanks for having me in the clinic again. Thanks, Cathy. If you'd like to book in with Stephen or one of the team at King Manual Therapy, go to kingmanualtherapy.com where you can find all the options. So since you left drama school, you've been in a plethora of shows across the country as well as uh, in the West End and you've done some short films and commercials. Have you noticed uh, any changing attitudes towards mental health um, in this time? And can you pinpoint any kind of positives that are coming to the forefront? I do think that mental health is taken more seriously these days. Um, and I definitely think, like, back from, you know, going back to, like, training and 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 people's attitudes, I think, is just like, oh, just get over it. You know, it's that kind of, you know... Whereas I do think we are... I think we're more supported now. And I think people understand a lot more because people talk about it because it's much more you know it's more open these days I can just definitely say that there is there's just a a general feeling of um I feel like we're just a bit more looked after I think now I think that it's 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 just less taboo Mm -hmm. and I think that's because so many performers are now speaking out about it and being really honest and open yeah, I think that's fair. We've noticed a massive change, obviously, since we started the podcast about what well, was last last September. So it's mm. been a year and year and three months, and um, yeah, there's there's been a massive change, and people are not excited to talk about it, but just so much more willing to to open up about it, which, which is fab. Um, so as I just mentioned, you have been in several West End shows in your career, and I think there's often a misconception. Um, we've spoken about this with with a few other people that when you're working in town and you've got that job that everyone wants that you should be really happy and you should be hashtag loving life living your best life Um, what are the struggles that people can face when they're in long running shows maybe in like a year's contract Um, I think I think it's just you know it's just life in general so I think yes you're you know you've got this job that that you've you know, you wanted so much, but life still goes on and things still happen that you have to find a way of dealing with. And then you then have to go 
you have to go to work of an evening um, and perform and and be happy. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know whether I should say this, but it, it's just come to my head. But when I was in Mamma Mia, um, I actually, my half-sister was very ill and she actually passed away on a Saturday morning and I went to work that because I didn't know what else to do. And I went... Um, and I did the show in the afternoon and I remember being in the finale and like this smile kind of plastered on my face and then I just went, I can't be here. I, I can't be, I can't do that again. That was, you know, and, and that's the thing is that, is that we, we, we are, it's drilled into us, the show must go on. Um, and it's, you know, and, and that is the way it is. But sometimes we need to remember we are human beings and things happen in our lives that aren't you know that we just need to take a, a step back and not put ourselves through that and you know and allow time to process whatever the hell is going on in your you know and sometimes people need to remember that because you see a lot of you know a lot of things on twitter about you know performers being hassled because they weren't on on that particular evening and and you just kind of go well something might have happened in their life yeah. and you just need to let them be yeah. like so yeah, that's completely. that's kind of I don't know I went on a, a little bit of a tangent there, no. but there we are. No, 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 that makes complete sense. I mean, it's like you almost feel like saying to these people, you mean that you've never taken a holiday or a sick yeah. day from work because yeah. this is your work, even yeah. though it's great and you get to sing, dance, and act, um, and it's what it's what you've wanted to do, and it is fab, and it's maybe, yeah, yeah. people people need to just yeah chill. chill. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Now this might seem like a really strange question. You are five foot ten, yes. I believe. Um, so yeah, we're around the same height. And I know that height is something that um, has uh, that I have found being an issue for myself. Yeah. Um, just as some other people might have an issue um, with body image, height is body image. I used to have terrible posture because I used to try not to stick out. Yeah, hunched shoulders all the yeah. time. Um, is this something that you have ever found, or do you just embrace it and 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 love it? Because that's what you should do. There's nothing you can do to change your height. But yeah, it's just I just think it's an interesting, an interesting question. I think I think my height issues stemmed from being in school and being taller than all the yeah. boys. So I think that's where it kind of all started before they, you know, had a growth spurt and became taller than me. Mm-hmm. Um, and for a lot, I remember I used to go to auditions um, and apologise for my height. Like I'd always wear flats mm-hmm. um, rather than embracing it and. Because I remember somebody came into Arts Ed, you know, when I was younger and said, you're going to struggle to work until you're in your late 20s. And they said that to me. And, you know, you go, and this is the thing, is, is people label you and you can choose to take these labels on or not. And I obviously chose to take that label on because, funnily enough, like, when that's when things started to really go well for me was in my late 20s. Um, but I became, you know, I, I kind of, I think I've always looked kind of the age that I look now a little bit because of you know being so tall and womanly Uh, so yeah I think now I do embrace it a lot more and it's it it can go against me in an audition but it can go for me like and the more that I'm just like this is me you're gonna like it or you're not and I I, I do realize how my that stature kind of I do realise how that can work as well. So I think it's just, I, you know, we, it's hard, I think, if you're going for, like, juvenile female lead, then it's, it's 
it's harder to fight. You know, they they do want a guy to be taller than you, and yeah. not all men are. Yeah. So yeah, I get it. Yeah. I get it. But yeah, you wait. <laughs> So besides CrossFit, what do you do outside of the industry to look after your mental health? Uh, I read a lot. Um, I read a lot. I journal. Um, I the, the, the times where I feel like I'm... I try and live my life in, like, a state of flow, which is easier said than done. Um, but I find that the more I let go and the the more that I am focusing on the joy in the day-to-day moments rather than being so hell-bent on, you know, progressing my career, the more things actually just come naturally. Like, I could never in my life have predicted what would happen that night in 42nd Street. But I just got back from holiday. I'd had the most amazing time. Um, I was chilled. I was in the most, like flowy place I think I'd ever been and then that happened and so that has to teach me something and it has to teach me that you know life is short and there and we are so so focused on the destination that we are literally like you know you're on a train and and it's that where it's whooshing past and you just can't see anything when there's so many things that you could you could be enjoying the view and that's what I try to do. And that's what helps my mental health is the more that I read books that are associated with that, the more that I am journaling and writing kind of my intentions for the day, what I'm grateful for and finding the joy in the small things and the connections with people, the better, the better my career is. I started walking through open doors. This is the thing that I was, I was, somebody said this to me a few years ago and it was like, why would you bang on a door so hard when there's an open door right in front of you? Like, what is that about? That's about ego. Because it's like, well, that open door is, I don't want that. That's not good enough for me. I want to bang on this door. So I've started walking through open doors. That's literally, that's my, how I see it. And since I've started doing that, that's when things have just started to um, slot into place. So it's, yeah, that's... That's how I deal with, I think, that's how I keep in a pretty okay mental state. Pretty okay mental state. Yeah. I love that. You know, if we were still having, we used to have um, quotes from our guests as the titles of the podcast. And if we were still doing that, it would be, I now walk through open doors, would be the title of your podcast. Because that's, yeah, that's so obvious. Why would you bang against a door that's not opening for you when it's like, oh, well, I'll just, I'll take this one and yeah. then that'll open to another yeah. one. And you don't know, you know, you could still have that open door and that they could still lead to the same destination. But there is something, oh, this is going to get a bit woo now. There is something like bigger than us that is at play. And the more that we can surrender to that, the better. But we think that we know better. And we're like, no, like, I know. And, you know, and the more that we can just kind of go, it's you know it's about so much more than me and let it go the just the the better it is yeah yeah fantastic (laughs) i love that so steph final question that we ask everyone could you walk into a room today and say i'm having a bad mental health day could i walk into a room today and say i'm having a bad mental health day don't need to be those words as in do i do what do i feel like i could i yeah 
like if, if if you went into a room and someone's like how are you doing you're like you know i'm not really feeling say. yeah yeah as in because would i yeah. feel confident enough to do that mm-hmm. yeah if i yeah i think i'm lucky enough to have enough people in my life that i feel like i could and i think that's what we were talking about before yeah. it's asking for help mm-hmm. and there are so many people around us who will help us but we're scared to ask and yeah. we're scared to be vulnerable and show that side of ourselves. But yeah, yeah. it's important. Fab. Great, amazing. Thank you so much, Steph. Uh, just to finish off, uh-huh. we will be playing a game of finish the sentence. Ooh, well, you know I like a sentence. Yeah, you like a sentence. <laughs> so not word, yeah, 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 it actually has to be a sentence. It can't be a word association. <laughs> so my go-to shower song is? Uh, oh, uh, Oh, I'm listening to country at the moment. I love Luke Combs. Cute. So I listen to him. Yeah. <laughs> the first thing I do when I wake up in the morning is? Oh, I check my phone and it's so bad. <laughs> we all do it. Yeah. The thing I'm most looking forward to in 2020 is? Um, oh, God, I don't know. Like, that's the beauty of it. Exactly. Is the, is the unknown, the, the, just the beauty of what could be. Oh, yeah. <laughs> If I could be any animal for the day, I would be? Oh, a cat. I'd be my cat, because he lives the best life. Oh. Yeah. So does my cat. <laughs> I just got a cat. Everyone knows i got cats all over my Instagram. Um, my dead or alive party guest would be? Oh, Meryl Streep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The best Christmas song is? Oh, the Shaking Stevens one. Snow is falling <laughs> all around you. That one is the best Christmas song. We're recording this at Christmas, by the way, just in case oh, this yeah. comes out in, like, Ew. February. <laughs> Happy 2020. Um, my fave movie of all time is... Overboard with Goldie Horn. Yeah, f- best film. Watch it. No hesitation there. Oh, yeah. At all. No, I love it. Great. Yeah. And finally, in the future, I would like... Uh, to be happy. Yeah. To continue mm-hmm. to be happy. I love it. And find the joy in... Everyday moments. That's it, really. Fantastic. Well, you have brought me a lot of joy this afternoon, Steph Parry. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Thank you you for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Industry Minds. If you're interested in our counselling services, please email mary at industryminds.co.uk. For all other inquiries, please email info at industryminds.co.uk. Make sure you subscribe and follow us on social media at Industry Minds UK. You can find out about all our future guests and our future events on there. Thank you so much for listening and we will see you next week. Bye-bye. Uh, bye-bye. <laughs> Bye, Felicia. <laughs>